0: Monash University sociologist Dr. Barbara Barbosa-Nevesh is an internationally recognised expert on social isolation and digital inequalities among older people. She goes into aged care facilities and finds out what life is like for people often living stifled lives. Her studies on loneliness and technology have received awards in North America, Japan, the UK, Belgium, Portugal, Australia. Barbara believes in a concept called live gerontology, connecting the science she practices with actual lives, trying to inject liveliness into sometimes drab existences and often finding not just a yearning for connection in the old, but an ability and a desire to experiment in areas like the arts, for example. She is trying to change the way societies treat people who've lived a long time and who need help. She's published new research dr barbara barbosa nevesh good morning
1: good morning thank you so much for having me
0: thank you for coming on this is an unusual first question but you're not old it'll be a long time before you're old what drew this what drew you to this line of study and involvement in the problems of our most senior citizens barbara
1: Thank you. I am not old, but I'm also aging. We age every single day. Um, and so uh, it's interesting to think about age and what old means, because that changes over time and across societies as well. I am very drawn into this line of study, into understanding how we can age better and how we can live in more inclusive societies. Because many years ago, when I was doing my PhD, my doctoral studies, I attended a conference, by an older speaker. speaker, And the older speaker was 93 at the time. And her name was Sophie Freud. She was the granddaughter of Sigmund Freud, but she was not giving a talk about Freud. She was just giving a talk about her work uh, within my area, which is sociology. And I remember thinking quite clearly at the time, that she was so old, but she was such a wonderful speaker. And so I was just taken aback by my own thinking in terms of connecting age with the ability to be a great speaker. And so I realized that I was being ageist. I was focusing on technology and young people, and I changed my PhD to focus on technology and different age groups.
0: I'm glad I thought of that question. That was a great explanation. Barbara, you enlisted the help of a well-known Australian author to better understand the voices of those who've grown old. Can you explain why you did that and and the story behind that?
1: Yes. So I have been conducting research on loneliness and social isolation in middle life for many years. I was always getting comments and questions that really highlighted the ageism that is so embedded in how we think about loneliness in later life and so i would get comments and questions such as but barbara why don't you study children instead you know the future or barbara you know that young people are also lonely of course they are um or uh barbara you know old people make themselves lonely because they're always cranky and or why are you interested in old people when you look so young and so on and so on and so on? And so how do we and how do uh, you communicate your research in a way that does not continue to perpetuate stereotypes about older people, that does not uh, continue to stigmatize them in any way? And so I was reading a novel by Australian author Josephine Wilson, and uh, the novel uh The novel was entitled Extinctions. And in her novel, Josephine talks a lot about what it is to live in an aged care facility, in a care home or in a nursing home. And she was also capturing the experience of aging in a way that was not the common way of thinking about aging in literature. And so I had this really crazy idea of emailing her and inviting her to be part of my project. How did
0: comic book art come into the frame here? Because then you added an illustrator.
1: Yes, that's correct. So what Josephine did was uh, she um, wrote creative stories based on some of my participants. And the research that I had was pretty much based on interviews that I conducted with residents of care homes in Australia and Victoria, who experienced prolonged loneliness. I stayed in nursing homes in Victoria for six months, just observing how people communicated, how they interacted. So she read all my data and then she wrote the stories. And so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to also add a a visual component to the stories? And so I reached out to an illustrator, Amanda Rooks, who then illustrated the stories for me. And we gave both Josephine and Amanda creative freedom to capture what they thought was relevant. And this became a really interesting collaboration between arts and science and how we can actually learn so much from from the artistic way of capturing life.
0: You've had some very good ideas. Dr. Barbara Barbosa nevis is with us. Pre-pandemic, I saw that you came up or with or accessed some tragic stats really. Globally, at least a third to a half of people in aged care, feel lonely. More than forty percent of those in Australia, Australian aged care, never get visitors. Barbara.
1: Yes, the the data is is shocking. Studies estimate that between thirty five to sixty one percent of residents of aged care homes report persistent loneliness, and this is loneliness over time, and this is extremely, extremely high. And then we have some data from the government also suggesting that 40% of older people in aged care facilities in Australia do not get visitors, not even once a year. It's a huge social health issue because loneliness not does not only entail immense Personal and emotional suffering because my participants feel abandoned and rejected. And a lot of them say they are just there waiting to die. And this is horrific. This is how we are treating uh, our most vulnerable. But loneliness also increases the risk of a range of illnesses and health issues in later life, including dementia. Research shows that loneliness increases the risk of dementia by 40%, 40%. 40% regardless of gender, education, race and ethnicity, and even genetic risks. So loneliness is a serious public health issue. I
0: assume we're also talking about those aged care facilities inside retirement villages, because there are all sorts of aged care options now, aren't there?
1: That's correct. Yes. So aged care facilities, we're talking usually about long term care, care homes where people live 24-7 and where they require some particular type of assistance. Right.
0: Can I read a an example of that narrative power that you're talking about? Presumably, Josephine Wilson has written the caption to a cartoon of a woman yes. who you call Patricia. Do you mind if I just read that, that short paragraph oh, please out?
1: Do. Please do.
0: Frail, how Patricia hates that word, but sometimes it's true. She feels as fragile as a feather, as hollow as old bone, liable to be blown off her chair, out the window and away into the blue sky. Sometimes she would like to open the window and let herself be taken, leaving her empty body sitting here on the plastic chair, like a shell washed up on the beach. It is so powerful. You are giving them a true voice. That's another way of putting mm-hmm. of putting what you're doing.
1: Indeed. That's a really good way of of describing it. It's giving them a voice that is much more comprehensive and much more human than uh, the voice that sometimes we give them as scientists. And so when I'm now presenting my work, I don't rely so much on the dry PowerPoint with all the statistics. I actually read the stories and people see, oh, this is not a number. This is a person. Patricia is a person. Uh, when I interviewed Patricia, she was in her 70s. She was sitting in that plastic chair that uh, that Josephine captured. And she told me she just on the on the chair all day and she was uh, she had this very interesting attachment to the trees outside of her window and she mentioned the trees so many times during our interview because it was kind of a sign of a constant presence in her life and uh, josephine really captured that Uh, even the the title of that story is patricia is 79 and likes to look at trees but patricia is not a tree there's a part in the story that, um, pa- that uh, Josephine wrote uh, w- where Patricia says the following, and I'm just going to read it very quickly. Patricia really loves this girl who has come to talk to her. She loves everything about her, from the way she leans towards her in the chair to how she carefully records Patricia's every word as if Patricia really mattered. This young woman is listening so hard that Patricia is afraid of disappointing her. There are so many ways Patricia feels lonely, but she has never been one for words, and she can't see the point of all this talk about loneliness. Everyone knows that loneliness is the opposite of words. Loneliness doesn't speak. It is dead silent. Loneliness is a fact. The fact is, you are lonely.
0: So all this is translated into some lovely prose uh, and really nice drawings that have the appearance of com of elegant comic book frames it's so fascinating one Mm -hmm. can i ask you something else one man who's 90 confessed to you he felt lonely all day but he joked that was all right because it was only once a day and patricia Mm -hmm. who you mentioned she had four children and you wonder where they are, but she was a ballroom dancer. How do most older people deal with this kind of loneliness in these facilities, Barbara?
1: There's mostly three ways of coping. The first one is, of course, they because they internalise the guilt and shame of feeling lonely, Uh, most of them do not report to their families or even to their caregivers that they experience loneliness. It's very rare that actually one of our participants says, I've mentioned to them that I'm lonely. A lot of them do not. We call this the silent suffering of loneliness. They already feel so stigmatized, so dependent. They feel that their sense of self is already so constrained that telling people that they feel lonely, it's another layer of stigma for them. And so, because society tends to see loneliness as an individual issue, responses to it are usually just based on individualistic approaches. So, lonely older people are usually told to be more resilient, more proactive, more positive, and so on. As if on their own, they could completely change their, their loneliness. And of course, because of that, a lot of them blame themselves for their loneliness. For example, a lot of my participants would say, I feel extremely lonely, but, but I shouldn't because I, I still have family who comes here once in a while. So why am I feeling so lonely? Uh, I'm embarrassed about this. And the response is usually to say something like, But why? Look outside. It's such a beautiful day. But look at the garden. But you have so many friends in here and so on. So it's just they feel dismissed because loneliness is not seen as something serious. And of course, this attempt to... Add a positive layer to everything means that sometimes we engage in what we call um, kind of this extreme positivity, which doesn't really give people space and time to process their negative emotions. The other thing that participants do a lot in care homes to cope with loneliness is individual things. They read they watch movies, they get th- themselves distracted from loneliness. And what we see uh, in our data is that most of our participants, they engage in um, social activities within the home and a lot of them volunteer within the home. They try to help other older residents who experience uh, other issues, and including loneliness. A lot of um People and a lot of aged care staff also assume and a lot of communities assume that older people are passive in relation to their own feelings and emotions and situations. But what we can see is that they are actually quite proactive. Uh, They are just in a very constrained context and setting.
0: You know, older people can be rebellious too, can't they? They can bridle at their situations, rebel at their situations in, in little ways.
1: Definitely, definitely. And we see a lot of those micro levels of resistance within aged care facilities, which are very standardized environments. So they have to have breakfast at the same time, lunch at the same time. They're very standardized environments. But a lot of older people find ways of resisting that institutionalization. For example, a lot of my participants, even though they are not allowed, they keep things um, such as a kettle or little things or they clean their own rooms or they try to engage in forms of resistance. So they, their sense of even independence is still upheld. We have uh, other participants who are more night out. And so but they they tell me, oh, well, we're put to bed at 6 p.m. Yeah. Uh, that's when life begins. <laughs> and so uh, they try to resist those a lot of those issues. Even the social activities that sometimes are developed in aged care facilities are designed by young people thinking about they know what older people want. So older people are often not included even in the design of activities for them. And I also want to emphasize, uh, Jimmy, if I may, that loneliness is not a universal experience in later life. So not all older people are gonna experience loneliness. Uh, Older people who live in aged care homes or alone in the community while dealing with, with health issues, are more likely to experience loneliness. And so my research is focusing on those most vulnerable groups. But it doesn't mean that all older people will experience loneliness. And as we know and as, as we saw throughout the pandemic, all age groups can experience loneliness.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction. Uh, and they can use their imaginations. You wonder why there aren't many books by quite old writers, Uh I suppose the most famous ones keep writing. But I suppose that never appeal to publishers. I can imagine a publisher looking at a, a book manuscript from a 79-year-old and thinking, oh, really? I mean, we have that kind of bias too, I imagine.
1: Yes, indeed. In literature, but also movies, also popular cultural in general. Um, it, it's because, again, that invisibility of, of later life, or we tend to describe and depict Uh, older people as tropes. They are frail, dependent, they live in aged care facilities, or they are greedy, uh, they have all the power, there's nothing in between. And most older people are in between, they're very complex people with different needs and desires and aspirations, and they are not at those extremes. But unfortunately, even um, cinema and music tends to really emphasize those harmful stereotypes.
0: Yes, old age is seldom beautiful, um well it is in the eye of the beholder. But that's one of the problems here. We see we see avuncular and matateral depictions and films of lovely old people without any aches and pains and anger and frustration, and we <laughs> we don't want to know the the gradations of that, by and large. We don't want to know what's in store for us, maybe
1: yeah definitely and so of course when we approach aging we are scared we don't want to age we are worried about what's going to happen to us and so we need to also really combat that ageism in our societies aging is also a privilege it's a it's the ability to live longer and enjoy life it's an ability to contribute to our communities for longer periods of time as well and 200 years ago life expectancy was around 40 40 years old. Now we life expectancy is around 80. So in, in Western society so we have this ability to live longer and it's interesting because um, living longer and, and life expectancy is an indicator of the wealth of a nation. But then we have this discourse that uh being old is is negative. And we see it in even in um small things. People get to a certain age and they don't want to celebrate their birthdays anymore. Or the anti-aging market, which is multi-billion market that is just focused on showing us that no, aging is, is ugly, it's it's not beautiful. And we need to really combat those narratives because they are really harmful. And because we know that ageism it has lots of health consequences as well. People who internalize negative uh, ideas or um, um, perceptions of aging also tend to, to uh, have uh, a higher risk of a variety of illnesses and health conditions. Yeah. And so we know that's really negative we need a society that is open to all ages that is inclusive of all ages and that values uh, being old
0: monash university sociologist dr barbara barbosa neves is with us what is your research this fascinating research going to lead to do you hope how will it make a difference?
1: That's, that's always our, our aim and our dream that it will make a difference. I think, um, from the reaction that I'm getting from conferences, uh, communities, students, other older people, I think we are starting to see some change. Um, but we need much more than, than just some research. We need systematic change. But I'm hopeful that these kind of projects and collaborations are a way of really empowering older people to have a voice. Um, I'm also working with uh, co-designing uh, their studies with older people. I want them more involved in, in the work that we do. And so my, uh, my call to everyone and to your listeners is to think about why do we think aging is so negative and how can we change our understanding of aging every single day? I
0: know those cartoon frames of yours are in the Gerontologist Journal. Imagine if they were on billboards around the place or really prominent online. Imagine if there was a series of them in a major newspaper. That would probably make a difference too.
1: Yes, I think so. We uh, included um, stories and I recorded the stories uh, for uh, several media outlets in Australia, but also internationally. And I received many, many emails about suggestions of how we can actually... um, find new ways of communicating this research. But those are really good ideas. Thank you for that. I'll take those on board. <laughs> and uh, we'll see also in terms of funding what it, what is possible for us for us to do.
0: It's an age of identity, isn't it? An identity politics we hear a lot about. So older people lack identity as well. I wonder what the cutoff age is for identity. I suppose it depends, as you're implying on your outlook as a as a person growing older. But that's the problem here, isn't it? The older people are represented by organisations, grey power type organisations. But what you're discovering is that they lack not only a voice but a kind of a profile, an identity.
1: Definitely, definitely. Even our understandings of care and support are, are, are ways of stereotyping those who require care and support. Uh, And so even our understanding of providing care is always usually done in a very very negative way. Uh, Care is a cost, care is not a cost, it's also a privilege to be able to care for others. And older people, even those in aged care facilities care for others as well. They care for other residents. They care for us. And of course, ageism affects older people in particular, and there is a report by World Health Organization saying that one in two people are ageist. But we also know that ageism affects other age groups. We know that young people, for example, are always depicted in also very similar ways in terms of they are risk takers, they are selfish, they don't know anything, they don't have capacity to understand the world and so on. And so, I think we need a really deep conversation about age groups and what age means, and we need to broaden up our understanding of of age. And that requires a lot of intergenerational projects and initiatives and conversations. But unfortunately, we tend to silo people into age groups.
0: I want to ask you, in closing, some questions that maybe out outside that maybe are outside your remit, but I'm keen to know what you think anyway are the old better off in those societies where economics dictate that they have to be surrounded by younger generations there aren't lots of aged care facilities I'm sure that there are downsides to those to living in those societies less comfort and so on but are the upsides greater in a way for their mental health
1: Mm-hmm. that's a really good question because there's a lot of research on ageism across different uh, societies and cultures we tend to think that for example asian cultures and more collectivist societies uh, which are based on ideas of filial piety where older people are included in society as 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 important elements of society that those societies would not experience ageism but the research that says that they still do they still experience what we call positive stereotypes or um which is that they are cute uh, but they are incompetent so even in uh, societies where older people are more included as equal elements of society. We see ageism. However, levels of ageism are lower and um, those collectivist societies have a different understanding of care. And so, for example, we have multi-generational households where people from of different age groups and from different backgrounds support each other. In those societies where we have more community-based care and there's no um, such thing as institutionalization, there's very few uh, aged care facilities, for example, we see that indeed there are higher levels of sense of belonging and sense of value for older people, which are really Uh, helps with their mental health Uh, but it doesn't mean that then uh, all the the care that they have and that they get is appropriate care and so there is this sometimes this mismatch between providing that social support but then not having the capacity to provide for example more medical support
0: yeah the possibility exists i know this sounds dystopian with um but with euthanasia embedded in medical care now that in less benign societies in future, the elderly may become too much of a burden, especially if we don't hear their nuanced voices and their true feelings, their dreams, and their ongoing ability to create and care and laugh and cry. Do you ever think about that?
1: We can definitely get into that sense of, of um, a place where older people are disposable and that they, they, they don't lo- no longer have a value and, and a say. Uh, so this is something that we need to think about as well. We have a lot to learn from collectivist societies and even here in Australia and also there in New Zealand from First Nations and how they treat and integrate their older people in their communities, which is something that we need to learn from as well. Um, but we also need to understand what are the the consequences, the implications of having different models when other people are not integrated in that conversation.
0: Last question, the type of aged care home you would run. Because I've been into a few aged care Mm -hmm. homes and there are fantastic people working there and they put their hearts and souls into their work. Uh, But as you say, often resources restrict what can be done. They have trouble finding staff, aged care facilities in our part of the world now, don't they? But you would probably design a a home differently if it were possible. And you you would certainly, I imagine, open up more possibilities for creative input and daytime activities for people inside homes.
1: Definitely, definitely. I do wanna, as, as you mentioned, I do wanna emphasize that, that aged care staff in all the places that I've been both in Canada and here in Australia are extremely, most of them are extremely dedicated to the work that they do. They are overworked, undervalued. They don't have enough resources, but they still do an amazing, amazing um, job and work in terms of attending and caring and empowering older people. If I were to design an aged care facility, I really think we need to completely Redesign um, how we care for older people. I would probably emphasize more a community-based ba- approach uh, for um, for uh, older people and a an approach that is more intergenerational. Thinking about community-based uh, villages and not um, institutions in a way that in the way that we design them. In fact, a lot of my participants use even use the language of they live in a prison. They, lose the, they use the language of the inmate. These are what we call to- total institutions, really standardized environments where everybody has to do the same. And so I think community-based approaches that are much more creative and flexible. Even villages like we have for people with dementia, for example, in Holland, in the Netherlands, where they live in a community, a close community, but they have they can go to the supermarket, they can go outside of their units, they can go to the cafe, where they still live outside and not just inside a facility.
0: Yeah, but you're talking, I've got to qualify that because you're talking about retirement villages as well where people can do that. It's when they get sicker and less able that they go into the aged care facilities, isn't it? That's the problem.
1: Yes, but we can still design aged care facilities with that residential or that retirement um, aspect still. So, for example, uh, one of the aged care facilities where I conducted my research here in Victoria has a a cafe that is open to the public within the aged care facility. And so people can come from from the community to have a coffee there. Great and answer. that just opens opens up an aged care facility. It's not just an institution. Uh, that seems like a hospital. It's an institution where the outside is also invited where and where people can actually engage with different age groups. So there's a lot of models that come from retirement villages that we can embed into the design of aged care facilities as well. And what we see from our participants, and they say this a lot, that uh, when they enter, there's a transitional period, when older people move from the community to an aged care facility, if they have family to support them, the family, Family is very present in the first month, first two months, or, or first three months. But then their um, their, their interaction w- with the loved ones declines over time. Yeah, and so a lot of our participants mentioned this at the start everybody's there or the grandchildren come but then over time it becomes a phone call once a month and then just they show up for their birthday or for christmas and so and this is not just this is not to blame families of course families have very complex lives but it's also because the institution itself is not open to that grandchildren don't think institutions aged care facilities institutions are attractive or fun places to be no one wants to go there and so we need to redesign even the physical space in a way that attracts the external uh, community to into the aged care facility it's a, a, a kind of a, a space like a public library where people from different age groups can come and interact so i think there's a lot of things that we can do that seem more minor such as you know a cafe but they can make such a big difference for not only the residents but also the community at large because it is a way of also thinking about how can we empower different intergenerational relationships and how we can gain from intergenerational relationships as well.
0: Great to talk with you, Barbara. Thank you so much for both your research and the work. And very good of you to give us your time today too.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.